If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30 will be our text for today as we continue to walk through the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus here in Matthew. Randall Goodgame, who is the man behind the music of Slugs and Bugs, kids' music, um, has a, a song on one of his CDs called The Ten Commandments, and not surprisingly, he, he lists all ten of the Ten Commandments to a catchy tune. Uh, and I don't remember which of our children it was, but when they were younger and they were singing along with the CD, they, they got to the Seventh Commandment, the commandment to not commit adultery, and instead of saying that, they would say, don't climb an adult tree. Or maybe it was something like, don't climb a, a dull tree. Whatever it was, it was clear that a, a command about what trees to climb or not climb uh, made more sense to a five-year-old than the command to not commit adultery. However, for most of us, especially when we start to see the, the heart of this commandment as Jesus explains it, it seems that there are few commandments that are more applicable to our lives and to our culture at large than this one. Because it's not simply about adultery, but it's about human sexuality as a whole, which is something that permeates nearly every facet of our culture. Just consider for a moment the variety of products that have nothing to do with this topic that are sold by appealing to some form of sensual desire. And because of this topic's ubiquity, it should come as no surprise that the, that the Bible and that Jesus himself have some significant instructions to offer us on the topic. And we can be very thankful that, that Scripture has clear teachings uh, on, the topic that, uh, on this topic that, that permeates our lives and our, our culture. The Bible doesn't shy away from physical intimacy. It's, it's very clear about the blessings and the dangers that are associated with our sexuality. And it's clear that to obey the words of Scripture on this topic and on all topics brings life and joy to us, while ignoring them brings anguish and pain. The specific instruction of Jesus here in Matthew 5 that we're called to heed tells us in no uncertain terms to do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. Do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. This clear call is, is needed as we're often tempted to be dismissive of perversions of this good gift. We're told that our words and our actions are really not that big of a deal. We're not to be, we, we, we're told to, to not be prudes or, or to lighten up. But Jesus knows the, the power of our desires and he knows the power of our lusts, which is why he lovingly but clearly tells us to do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. Now, before we read our, our passage for today, uh, let's get our minds back into the, the flow of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, we, we sought to understand how, how Jesus has fulfilled the law. And in seeing that, we were compelled as those who desire to follow Jesus to also take the law seriously. And as we seek to live it out in our daily lives in a way that, that reflects its true intention. And Jesus helps us to see what the true intention of the law is through these six illustrations found in Matthew 5, 21 through 48. There's a, an easy pattern to spot within these six illustrations. It's a three-part pattern. Uh, they begin with a statement of, of law from the Old Testament, a statement of, of law from the Old Testament, introduced all, all, every time with the words, you have heard it said. 
you have heard it said. Though behind that statement is not only the, the Old Testament law, but also the, the surface interpretation of the Pharisees. So Jesus is drawing out laws laid down by Moses that the teachers of his day were ignoring at times or, or watering down through oversimplified understandings of their meanings. Now, the second part of the pattern is an explanation from Jesus, an explanation from Jesus that's signaled by the words, but I say to you. As we said last week, Jesus is, is not contradicting the law, but he is contradicting simplistic interpretations of it. He, he shows that the, the law is deeper than some want us to think. He, he is revealing the righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees that he talks about in verse 20. And he's showing us the perfection that he's going to speak about in, 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 in 548. And then the third part of the pattern is practical application. Uh, having stated the law and shown the, the true depth of the law, Jesus then offers real life, practical, everyday applications for it. The Christian life is not a checklist to complete, but it's a path to walk. It is a, a way to think and to live. And Jesus helps us know how members of his kingdom are called to think and to live. Well, let's hear Jesus's uh, words to us in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30, as he calls us to do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for, that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. Let, let's begin by seeking to understand what was said in the past. What was said in the past, verse, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. What was said in the past? What was the, the law, the meaning of the law um, in the Old Testament? On the surface, the, the seventh commandment seems very simple. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's just two words, no adultery. And so we might conclude that it's a straightforward prohibition against sexual unfaithfulness within marriage. Do not break your marriage vow by bringing someone else into your marriage bed. And of course it is that. Adultery tears marriages and families apart. And whatever temporary pleasure it brings, it brings even greater heartache. And it offends a holy God. But the reason adultery is prohibited is because of the deeper sexual ethic of the Old Testament, which is what Jesus was reminding his hearers of in the Sermon on the Mount. So what is this Old Testament sexual ethic? Very simply, it's this, no sexual intimacy outside of a marriage covenant. No sexual intimacy outside of a marriage covenant. This is because such Im intimacy is not simply a, a physical act as some would have us to believe. Tim Keller writes that some view sex as an appetite, not unlike hunger or, or thirst, and therefore it should be satisfied however and with whomever we wish. 
This is the thinking of many in our day, and we need to be careful that what we watch and that the music or the people that we listen to don't lull us into a similar perspective, that, that sex is just an appetite to be fulfilled. In contrast to this way of thinking, Scripture reveals that the, the physical union between a man and a woman is an expression of their whole life commitment to one another. It's not simply an appetite to fulfill or a physical act removed from every other part of us. Rather, and here's Keller again, he says, the Bible says don't unite with someone physically unless you are also willing to unite with the person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way because you have given up your freedom and bound yourself in marriage. If we are united to our spouse in, in every other way in the covenant of marriage, physical union becomes a whole person expression of that union. It's not simply a, a physical act. In fact, it's a covenant renewal ceremony whereby a husband and wife declare to one another that they are completely open, vulnerable, and united to the other person in a way that they are not open, vulnerable, and united to anyone else. And if that is what sexual union is, then it becomes very clear why adultery is so destructive and also why physical intimacy is so powerful. In fact, even the Old Testament states that, that even entertaining thoughts of being joined to someone other than your spouse is destructive. What we will hear Jesus say in a, in a few moments is found implicitly in the seventh commandment, but it's also found explicitly in the 10th commandment, which prohibits coveting, specifically stating that we must not covet our neighbor's wife. To do so is to violate our marriage vows. It's, it is to, to violate our neighbor's covenant relationship, and it's to reduce the gift of physical union to a mere appetite disconnected from a committed relationship. It's to take God's good gift and to ruin it by placing it in a context in which it was never intended to be. Having said then what's prohibited by the Old Testament, namely adultery and coveting of, of your neighbor's wife, we should also be clear that the scripture has a lot of good to say about physical intimacy practiced within its proper place. Sex is not simply allowed in scripture, it is commanded, it is encouraged. The book of Proverbs clearly warns against adultery, and in contrast to this temptation, without any hint of shame, it says things like, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. And of course, we would be remiss not to mention that your Bible has an entire book of love poetry that has no issue with rejoicing in the, in the pleasure of physical love within a marriage. All of this together plus more helps us to see that, that the prohibitions against sex outside of marriage or, or the prohibition against adultery or the prohibition against entertaining lustful thoughts are not intended to, to degrade physical love or, or to make it some sort of a dirty topic that we avoid or a taboo act that we, that we don't discuss in polite company, let alone in a, in a sermon. Rather, Scripture calls us to the full joy of the gift of sexual union when it's enjoyed as God intended, which is within a marriage covenant. Ultimately, the physical union of a husband and wife and the joy it brings does what all of God's good gifts do. 
it points us to the greater love and the pure covenant relationship that we have with God the Father through Jesus. Union with a spouse in all of its forms, including physically, is to point us to our union with Christ and to the hope of the pure joy that will be ours in the new heavens and the new earth when we are with him. It's a foretaste of something greater to come. So if you are married, your relationship is a preview of what is to come, including your physical relationship. And if you are single, all of your longings for joy in a relationship can and will be fulfilled in Christ. Now, all that the, the Old Testament, all of that, that Old Testament background uh, and more than I could probably ever explain, all of that informs what Jesus is going to say here in Matthew 5. So let's move on and ask what was said by Jesus. We saw what was said by the Old Testament. Now let's see what was said by Jesus. Well, in some ways, he said the exact same thing that the Old Testament said. But he crystallizes the purpose of the commandment and he rebukes the watered down interpretations of the Pharisees by making it clear that the heart of the command is the desire of our hearts. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that the heart of this command is the desire of our hearts hearts. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Which of course makes sense when we see that physical intimacy is more than an appetite or an action. So how did the Pharisees miss the point of this command? What we said last week regarding the command to not murder, that they would change the rules or lower the standards. And we can see some parallels to that here in that like murder, it was somewhat easier to keep the command against committing physical adultery. The percentage of marriages affected by infidelity is higher than we might think. But it's, this is also a command that, that many people keep, that the majority of people, of people in the world can probably say that they are keeping this seventh command to not commit adultery. Again, in order to appease our consciences, we, like the Pharisees, sometimes will change the law or will or we'll lower its standards. And sometimes we even ignore parts of it. Remember, Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's teaching and living the law in the way that it was intended to be understood and lived out. And as we just saw in the Ten Commandments, the, the depth of the Seventh Commandment is revealed by the Tenth Commandment, which is, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. This has to be at least part of what Jesus is referencing when he says that the command to not commit adultery includes saying that, that we should not look at a woman with lustful intent. And if we do so, we've already committed adultery with her in our hearts. So coveting is, is in some ways parallel to looking with lustful intent. So what exactly is lust or, or lustful intent? At, at its most basic, we would say that in this context, it's it's the desire for an illicit relationship. The desire for, for an illicit relationship, it's, it's a longing for sexual intimacy outside of a covenant commitment. This means that Jesus's words are not only speaking to men who are married. He's not only saying that, that married men are not to commit adultery or lust after a woman who is not their wife. Rather, Jesus is speaking to all kinds of sexual sin for men and women, married and unmarried. Anything outside of the marriage of a man and a woman is out of bounds when it comes to Jesus's sexual ethic, to the sexual ethic of the new kingdom. And he takes that sin all the way down to inappropriate thoughts. 
I don't think it would be accurate to say that, that Jesus is speaking about any sexual desire that arises in our hearts. As we've seen, we're, we're created by God with these desires and within the proper bounds, they are good. There even seems to be the understanding that temptation to lust will come, that the beauty of another person or the longing for someone else's marriage will arise in our flesh as we live in this broken world. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm not trying to excuse such things as okay, but I'm trying to, to be realistic and, and to acknowledge them as part of our broke, the brokenness that's in us and the brokenness that's in the world. And what Jesus seems to be talking about here is looking with lustful intent. He, he means looking on a person, settling our eyes and mind and heart on them with the intention of entertaining inappropriate thoughts about them. Consider seeing a beautiful person. There's a, a sense in which all true beauty is a reflection of the beauty of God himself, who is the source of all that is good. And in that spirit, Douglas McKelvey has written this momentary liturgy, liturgy titled Upon Seeing a Beautiful Person. He says, Upon seeing a beautiful person, we can say in our hearts, Lord, I praise you for divine beauty reflected in the form of this person. Now train my heart so that my response to their beauty would not be twisted downward into envy or desire, but would instead be, be directed upward in worship of you, their creator, as was your intention for all such beauty before the breaking of the world. A liturgy like that is, is meant to train our hearts away from what Jesus is speaking against here, which is often much easier said than done. Consider again seeing this beautiful person, but instead of allowing your eyes to turn towards Christ, you allow them to linger in lust. Your thoughts wander and you covet them physically, or, or you desire that they would speak and relate to you in some kind of romantic way. The God-given desire for intimacy within a covenant, covenant relationship then becomes a, a desire for physical intimacy with no commitment, for selfish taking rather than selfless giving, for loving ourselves and satisfying ourselves with no regard for loving our neighbor. And Jesus is clear that even if we never act on these desires, to entertain them, to meditate on them, to fantasize on them, is to break the commandment against committing adultery. These thoughts amount to being sexually unfaithful in our hearts. And let's go a bit further because Looking on someone with lustful intent does not seem to be all that Jesus is getting at here. His words could also encompass looking at someone with the intention of causing them to lust. It's, it's the idea of a person, man or woman, engaging in any form of flirtation with the goal of arousing someone who is not his or her spouse, acting in, in a way that's intended to entice another person to sin in this way of, of committing adultery in their hearts. Seduction, even if it doesn't lead to anything else, is against the kingdom law. Remember, the heart of the command is the desire of our hearts. God is not concerned with simple outward obedience, but with faithfulness of all that we are. And our faithfulness is not only to our spouse, but to God. Even if we are not married, sexual sin is unfaithfulness because it is unfaithfulness to God. Behind all of these twisted desires and actions is the deeper sin of idolatry, of seeking satisfaction in something or someone other than God, of not trusting that God's laws are for our good, 
of believing the original lie that, that God is holding out on us, that, that he has forbidden something that would bring us joy. To commit adultery or look on another person with lustful intent is to act with a lack of faith. It is to not believe what God has said. Lust is misdirected worship. Now, having seen how deep this command goes, and seeing that, that looking with lustful intent means that we have already committed adultery in our hearts, let me, be also, let me also be clear that actual adultery, actual physical union with another person with whom you have not made a covenant is different from lust alone. In the same way that killing a person is different in some ways than simply hating them. They're all a breaking of God's law, as we see from what Jesus is saying here. But, but the consequences of adultery or sex outside of marriage are deep. I think that's what Paul is driving at in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Strong words from the Apostle Paul that help us to see that for we who are members of Christ's body, what we do with our physical bodies is not simply a matter of personal choice because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price, soul and body. Now, having said that, don't hear me saying that all other forms of sexual sin that are less than actual physical union with another person are therefore harmless, that they're victimless sins in some way. Even an emotional affair, affair breaks trust and causes wounds that need to be healed. The, the erotic novels that make the bestseller list in our world are destructive to relationships and expectations within relationships. And if there's anything in the world if there's anything in the world that fits Jesus' Jesus's description of inciting lust in our hearts more than pornography, I don't know what it is. You may have convinced yourself, or you may have had someone else convince you that pornography is a private matter and a victimless sin. And that's a lie. There are few things that are more destructive to our world today than the porn industry. In an article from the Gospel Coalition, that Joel pointed out to me, Justin Holcomb says this, porn is much more than an individual decision. It's part of a system that preys on women and children and its viewers are participating in, contributing to, and being shaped by that destructive enslaving system. He then lays out in the article, six reasons why pornography is cruel, including that it fuels the sex trade, it shapes our desires, it exploits victims of abuse and more. What happens in our hearts doesn't stay there. It has massive consequences in our world. And what happens on our computer screens has ripple effects in the culture at large. There is no such thing 
as victimless sin. And yet, even if we saw none of these other consequences, Jesus tells us to take sexual sin seriously because according to his practical applications, it will bring eternal judgment if it's not dealt with. And so we get to the practical advice of Jesus and his instruction is this, radically guard your heart. Radically guard your heart. And we guard our hearts by taking extreme measures with regard to our eyes and our hands, with regard to our bodies. John Stott says this, the argument is this, if to, to look lustfully is to commit adultery in the heart, in other words, if, if heart adultery is the result of eye adultery, the eyes of the heart being stimulated by the eyes of the flesh, then the only way to deal with the problem is at its beginning, which is our eyes. So if you want to guard a castle, you set up soldiers at its gates, and the gate to our heart is through our eyes and through our hands, it's through our physical bodies. Jesus tell, doesn't tell us what to do specifically, but he does tell us how to do it. And the how is with ruthless and decisive action. Guard your heart through ruthless and decisive action. Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, and preserve your heart and your soul. Of course, Jesus is not advocating physical mutilation, but rather he's talking about ruthless decisive action, doing whatever it takes to root out sexual unfaithfulness. We must guard our eyes and our hands. This could mean, it could mean so many things. It could mean avoiding certain public places. It could mean not watching specific television shows or movies. It could mean installing an internet filter or eliminating the internet completely or eliminating a computer or eliminating a smartphone or eliminating a social media account. It could mean breaking off certain relationships. It could mean so many things. But what it means is identifying the ways that we are incited to sexual unfaithfulness, identifying the, the routes into our heart through our eyes and through our body and cutting them out of our lives, which means ruthless and decisive honesty with ourselves and honesty with others. We had a discussion amongst the elders thinking about this topic as we were coming into this sermon. And Joshua wrote something very helpful. He said, Jesus is enough for our justification applied by the Holy Spirit. But for your sanctification, Jesus is the reason for it. But the means of being sanctified is the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent to work within us and through one another to defeat sin, to mortify the flesh. We need the Spirit. And we need one another in this all-out war for our souls. And it begins, this, this, this battle begins, as every life change does, with repentance. Repentance towards God and repentance towards others. Followed by a, a good discussion about how to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes for the kingdom. And none of this is easy. Talking about these kind of things is never easy. It's always hard. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's like cutting off a hand or gouging out an eye, but you have to do it. If we long to listen to Jesus, then we will do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. But we're hoping to have some discussions in coming days about the, the practical outworkings of this 
as we, we seek to take Jesus' words seriously. And so I invite you to look for those and to engage with them, especially if you don't want to, especially if you're scared to. Now note this, though, that, that the, the good news of the gospel, it does tell us what, what we're to cut off and what we're to cut out of our lives. But it also tells us what to put on and to put into our lives. It not only frees us from sin, it frees us to righteousness. The lust of the flesh is a strong desire, and it's not going to go down without a fight. We fight it not only by cutting off its access to our hearts, but by filling our hearts with a new desire. Thomas Chalmers spoke of this 200 years ago in a wonderful sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New, Infect of a new Affection. Not a new infection, a new affection. Uh, I invite you to look that up. And you can even look up a, um, an audio version of someone reading through that, the expulsive power of a new affection. And in that, he argues that if we rid ourselves of one desire, we must replace it with an even greater one. To simply say no to sin, especially the temptation of sexual unfaithfulness, will not work. We must say yes to something. And if the law is fulfilled through love for God and love for neighbor, then those are the things that we, need to say, that we need to say yes to. These are the new affections that will expel our sinful desires by the power of the Spirit. A love for others that sees the terrible effects, not only of our actions, but also even of our, our desires. The way that we harm others through, through sexual unfaithfulness, even in our desires. A love for others that looks at people as Christ did, not as objects of our desire, but as people to serve, people to bless, people to lead to Christ. A love that, that loves our spouse and desires faithfulness to them for their joy and for our joy. A love that seeks to serve others. That, a love that seeks to serve our spouse. A love that seeks to be fully open to, to them and them alone in that deep emotional, spiritual, and physical way. But not only a love for others, but also a love for God expels this sin. A deeper affection for God than for sin. A love that, that feels the power of all the desires of our hearts and knows that we were made to be satisfied, not with them, but to be satisfied in Him finally and fully. A love that, that takes all the pleasure that we feel, that all the unfulfilled longings that we have, and turns them to worship of the God who has made us and the God who alone can meet our every desire. As we walk this path of saying no to sexual unfaithfulness and yes to love of God and love of neighbor, we're walking in the steps of Jesus. Of course, walking in the steps of Jesus in this way is not what saves us. That same Ten Commandments song that I mentioned at the beginning has a wonderful, really gospely chorus that says, The Ten Commandments, no one can keep them all. The Ten Commandments, that's why we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need the one who has died for our unfaithfulness, who lived for our righteousness, and who has given us his spirit so that we might walk the path of righteousness for his glory. So do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to avoid the danger of sexual unfaithfulness. And when you've done whatever it takes, 
then rest in the one who delivers us from eternal danger through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And rest in the one who is always faithful to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for your word that doesn't shy away from topics that we might um, want to avoid. Topics that we think uh, we understand fully, things that are hard to talk about, sins that we don't want to stare and look into. Thank you, Jesus, that you cut straight to our hearts. That you're not just concerned about what we do outwardly, but you're concerned about the desires of our inner being. God, if we are your children, you have changed us. You've given us a new heart that longs to follow after you. And we do long to follow after you. And yet our flesh is so powerful. And so, Lord, we, we long to be faithful to you. We long to be faithful to our spouses. We long to, to walk in this path of righteousness. And we need you to help us. Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to do whatever it takes to cut off our hands and gouge at our eyes, to, to take ruthless and decisive action of, of cutting these things out of our lives, not as a means of earning our salvation, but as a means of seeking our joy and our satisfaction in you and you alone. Lord, you alone satisfied the deepest longings of our hearts. We thank you for the good gift of sexual intimacy when it's used rightly within marriage covenants. We thank you for it. And we ask, Lord, that you would watch over and guard us. That you would preserve our souls, Lord. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.